By the time the system comes into play, the damage is done. They're not locking up seven-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was in Chicago a couple of three, four weeks ago, and we saw these little kids on bikes with masks on the side of their head, like five or six of them. And the driver said, yeah, they're little yummies. I said, who? He said, little, little yummies. Look up, Google little yummy. Mm. Little yummy was an 11-year-old murderer. Wow. And you look at his picture, you'll see the headshot of him, and he's like this. And he got murdered at 11 by a 14-year-old. Wow. Who's doing life now and a 16-year-old. That makes no sense. You, you blame the system? Where was his father? Yeah. It starts in the house. It starts in the home. And yeah, well, well, my father got locked up. Well, where was his father? Yeah. You know, like I did talk about my three closest friends, and they did, you know, 15 to 25, one did 28, this and that. I was the only one of the three that had a father in my life, even though my parents were together, but I still had a father who was a gentle man and a good example, yeah. and they didn't. We can blame the system if we want, but they didn't lock any of us up at seven. Yeah. We were all doing enough to get locked up at 13, my parents sent me in another direction. They didn't have anybody to help them, and they kept doing what they was doing, and the system got them. So. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Studio B. I am your host, Pastor Marcus Holman. Thank you for joining us here for another exciting episode. Make sure that you go to our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram, and our YouTube. Like, follow, and subscribe to make sure that you don't miss one single episode here at uh, Studio B. Today, man, I got a good friend, uh, a fellow brother in the Lord. He's a father. He's a, uh, a husband. He's a brother. He's a cousin. What other things? He's a friend. A Christian. He's a Christian. Uh, today I have uh, Mr. Clark Allen Booker, affectionately known here at the Church of Bethel's family as Deacon Booker. Uh, thank you for joining us here on the set of Studio B, man. How you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for having me, and I look forward into jumping into some of this stuff. All right, so we're in an area that is particularly interesting to Deacon Booker as he's been um, dealing with this subject matter that we'll be talking about for a number of years now. It's something that is dear to my heart. If you've watched the podcast for any time, uh, you've heard me speak on this at length. Um, but today we want to talk about um, the man, men, the absence of fathers, the absence of men uh, in our society. And what type of effect does that really have on some of the social ills that we're facing here today? And so as we discuss these things, uh, Deacon Booker, we've talked about this personally um, amongst our own friendship. Um, but now I want to kind of just bring it to a head to bring others into our conversation. When you're looking at um, the, the aspect of men, how big of a role do you think a man plays in today's society? Well, that's an interesting question because it's twofold. The real role that a man plays and the role that a man is supposed to play is not always the same. And that's what's causing the problem in our society. A man actually, uh, I know my pastor says quite frequently that a man sets the, the temperature. A man is a thermostat. And if you don't realize that and you are a married man or even a man in a household of uh, your family, your mother's fathers, those type of people, you set the thermostat. And if you don't realize that, you're not trying to set the thermostat. So it's like you have a house that is burning up and you want it to be cool, but nobody changes the thermostat. And so everybody suffers 
<laughs> because no one knows what should be done to make the be- the area and the situation better. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where we are right now. Uh, there's a lot of men that don't know, not even what they're supposed to do, but that's a, they're supposed to do something. And that's the biggest problem right now. So let's look at this from a 30,000-foot view and kind of back into it if we can. Um, when you're looking at the role uh, of man, and, and let me let me take it from a bigger perspective, of the family. When you're looking at any great empire throughout history, the beginning of an erosion of any empire, whether that's the Roman Empire, the Italian Empire, it all starts with the degradation of the family, mm-hmm. the family unit. Mm-hmm. The family unit is at the core <clears throat> of every civilized society. And when you start looking at how this thing began to get to where it is right now, and you're looking at the numbers of 2020, and you're looking at the numbers of 1950, and you see what was going on in 1950 and what's going on in 2020, you see drastic differences. And I want to read something to you. This is um, the effect of the father absence and father alternatives on female and male rates of violence. And this is from a young lady by the name of Jennifer Swartz, who wrote a federal grant Uh, in July of 2004. The document number is 206316. And here's what she has to write. It's very, very interesting. She says, the disappearance of the family-centered males from communities has generated considerable concern among policymakers and criminologists alike. Since the past research on family structure and community has revealed that far the absence to be consistent with potent uh, predictor of varying levels of violence across ecological contexts. And so she writes this 26-page, um, uh, what is essentially an op-ed, in which she points to specifics and statistics of where fatherlessness is, where you see increased poverty rates, increased suicide rates, increased, cri- increased uh, crime rates, as compared to a two-parent nuclear family. Mm-hmm. As you're looking at what's going on right now, how much of today's social ills can we attribute to the absence of the male or the absence of the father? That's, a, that's an excellent question. And what I'd like to do is kind of, if you can visualize, let's go back to, let's say, the Industrial Revolution. Now, the Industrial Revolution was in America, and we're talking about men specifically in America. The Industrial Revolution was the time where we stopped coming, we stopped working on a farm to make our money, and they built plants. Mm-hmm. So everybody's working in a plant. So men left their home and went to a plant to work. So they would work there all day. And you're going to see the, the, the degradation of, uh, of manhood. And so what happens is what used to happen when you were in a, when you were in a farm, the boy worked with his dad all day long. Mm-hmm. He went to school, then he came home. He spent all his time with his father. He saw his father in his good times. He saw his father in his bad times. He saw his father when he had the opportunity to lie and did not. So the boy is learning how to behave, how to be a man. So when the Industrial Revolution came along, all the men left and went to the factories. Well, you worked at a factory all day, you came home, all you want to do is relax. Mm -hmm. But now you still have this boy that you have not seen all day that wants to be around his father. You don't have time. So right away what happens is if you imagine a boy standing, a man standing here, then you imagine the boy standing right next to that man and he's with him all the time so he can glean from that man what's happening. 
how you behave, how you don't behave, how you treat your mother, how you treat other women. So he gleams all those things. So when the boy is no longer spending time with his father like that, you have them, instead of having them like this, you have them like this. So they don't spend enough time together. So the problem happens, so you take this boy, and, and I'm gonna try to make this as visual as I, as I possibly can. You take this boy, you move him here, he is now a man. So he has a child. He already has a disconnect with his father. So now this disconnected boy is an our man. So now let's go forward and you go forward to say World War II. Well, the problem in World War II, that was the next generation. The, in World War II, what happened is you have a boy, I mean, you have a man and you no longer have a boy here, you have a boy here. So they're not as connected anyway. So the man went off to war. Well, when all the men went off to war, the women took the jobs. So the boy was around women all day long. He never saw how he had to be as a man because there were no men around. His principals, his teachers, everybody he saw during the day, they were women. Mm -hmm. And so when the boy comes, when the man comes back from war, he's disconnected because when you go to war, you have to disconnect yourself so that you can even make it. So he comes back with that disconnection he already has a son that's here. Remember, they used to be here. He has a son that's here now. Well, when he comes back, he's already disconnected. That boy is here. So he doesn't spend hardly any time with his son because he doesn't even know how to connect to anybody. So you take that boy, and that boy becomes this man. So now you see how the boy is constantly, the man is constantly becoming disconnected from his son. And so you take that boy and you bring him here, and then you bring the, the, the uh, women's movement, and now the women are saying, well, I don't even need a man. Mm -hmm. So now you have a man here that can't even get to his boy regularly, so that boy is way over there now. So that boy is figuring out from all his friends, from everybody else, how to behave. Now the problem is that boy that's way out there still has to become a man. When he becomes a man, he does not know how to connect with the other men. He doesn't know how to teach, uh, teach other boys. He doesn't know how to do any of those things. So those, those men are our fathers. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so how can we, so the problem is not always that there's not a man there. The problem is that the men that are there have not been properly trained on what to do. And so even when they're in the house, they're not doing anything. So is it possible for them to be there but be absent at the absolutely, same time? Absolutely, absolutely. That's a bigger problem than the other because if you don't know what you're supposed to do, you don't know that you're not there. So you just stay there and not be there. So, so, so Deacon Booker, so this kind of brings up an interesting, um, an interesting uh, perspective of what we're talking about today. Um, because when you look at 1962 um, and you look at the rate of fatherlessness in 1962, mm -hmm. it was at 21%. And that was a really, really high number mm -hmm. at 21% in 1962. Now, with everything going on in 1962, you still had a fatherlessness rate of uh, 20, 22, 21%. If you come all the way over here into 2020, that number is now exploded 
to mm-hmm. 74%. Absolutely. So you go from 1960 to 22%, which was at that time a very high number mm-hmm. and caused a lot of alarm in 1960. And now you come uh, full circle to 2020, and the number has now exploded until 74%. And it's almost like now it's just kind of become par for the course. Yes. You know, we just it's just kind of, it is what it is. You know, a girl gets pregnant, there's really no kind of connection between her and the father, and they just kind of expected to have a baby mama, baby daddy kind of relationship and so in the middle of that baby mama and baby daddy relationship is a child and as you saying um, you know I grew up as a, um, a young man in a single parent household with my mother who loved me beyond measure um, and did everything that she possibly can to make sure that I made it through um, but there were absolute things that my mother could not teach me as a woman mm-hmm. on how to be a man. Exactly. And I can tell you here, um, very honestly and candidly, that I miss some of those moments and that I long for some of those moments. And I look for that teaching in other places and in other mm-hmm. people. And oftentimes I find myself finding the wrong example to follow. And so when you're looking at from a perspective of where we are right now in 2020, it is all not almost it is an epidemic that we seldom put a lot of attention on. But si- but the question is more of this, since it's now kind of just the way it is, how do we close that gap? How do, how, do we, how do we bring back the importance of the father? How do we bring that back into the conversation of today? Because, you know, Deke, we've talked in personal conversations. I have four children, and never at any point in time in their life have they had to worry about their father not being there, mm-hmm. ever. Right. They've never had to worry about mom and daddy divorcing. Uh, they've never had to go through those issues. And I absolutely see the positive benefit of having a dual parent home. Mm-hmm. But how do we close that gap if it is indeed even possible? But how do we begin to start to shrink that big old gap that exists between fatherlessness and a father being in the home? Well, I think the biggest thing is education. We have got to educate our boys and we've got to educate our men. See, we make a mistake of saying, well, those men, they're already, they're already gone. So let's educate the boys. But then the men come along and sabotage what the boys are doing because they don't know. So I think it's education on both sides. And I think the most important part of the education is the situation where we take the men and we teach them what they did not know before. I'll give you an example. Um, I used to um, be the executive director of a food pantry, and we had a lot, of bo- a lot of guys that would come, and they would probably be in their early 20s, and they would come and they would want to volunteer. Well, we had one particular guy, he came in and he said, uh, I have a problem. He's volunteering for us. And I'd say, okay, what's the problem? He said, uh, I have a flat. Okay, so I'm a man. If you have a flat, let's go out there and fix the flat. So we go out to his car, and he's, I said, so do you have a spare? I don't know. Mm. I, well, you don't know? I say, okay, let's look in your trunk. Um, where is the key? I've never been in that trunk. You've never been in the trunk of your car? And so as men, we stored stuff and we used our trunk. We knew what was in there. He didn't even know if he had a, he didn't even know how, so he didn't know if he had a jack to, to, to open it up, to, I mean, to let it up with. 
He didn't even know if he had a spare to put on it. He knew any of, none of those things, and he's 25, 26 years old. So just think about that 25 or 26-year-old mm-hmm. with an 8-year-old. Yeah. Do you think that 8-year-old can change a tire? No, you can't teach what you don't know. And that's the problem. We have to educate on a couple of different levels. I truly believe that, to answer your question, I truly believe we have to educate the men and then we have to educate the boys because what has to happen is the men, you need to change what their normal is. The boys need to not have an expectation of a negative normal. And what, what, but what does happen in our society is, what, is we do what we're talking about with COVID. We're talking about now there's a new norm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, our new norm in the past for manhood has always been something negative. A man is a man that's, that's uh, strong. Okay, well, what happens when you need to be weak? Well, I don't need to be weak. I'm strong. That's all I am. And that's all we know. So when, you, when the opposite happens, we don't know how to do it. And when you look in the Bible, they talk about Jesus. And, and it's so funny. I talk to people all the time and I say, you know, Jesus was the lion and he was the lamb. But here's the problem. We want to show the lion to our family. The lion is for everybody else. Hmm. The lamb is for our family. Our family should not have to see the lion. The lion is for protection. Yeah. But we see the lion at home, and then we go out there, and we are the lamb in the community. So then everybody else sees that lamb, and they expect that to be how a man is and how a man behaves, and it's not. And so the education is the biggest part. We have got to educate on both levels. So let's talk through this, Dick, because right now there is an absolute attack, and I say absolute, uh, picking my words wisely, but we'll say absolute. There's an absolute attack on all things that are truth. Mm -hmm. And so right now you're living in a world of gender dysphoria, gender confusion. And so the male, you have this thing right now where people are attacking attacking what is called toxic masculinity, Mm -hmm. right? You're too much of a boy, right? Uh, I come from an age where... Uh, the uh, what do they call it? The ADHD that was normal for a kid back in my day. Mm-hmm. You know, just you know, back and forth, back and forth. That was just normal. But now there's this attack that is going on right now in all aspects, to where people don't even know who they really are, mm-hmm. right? And I'm, so when you're talking about education, what does that education have to look at, uh, look like? Because when we're looking at absolute numbers, we can't track this stuff. That when you're looking at 2011, a person that's coming from a two-parent household had an expectation of about 10.9 to 11% to go into poverty. When you take that same number in 2011 and take somebody from a single-parent household, it goes from 10.9% all the way up to 47.6%. And this is just with the progress of two parents and one parent. Now, that is to say that if you come from a two-parent household, you can be, you know, that doesn't insulate you from the problems of the world. Uh, So that's not saying that that's a, you know, the quick fix to it all. But when you're talking about education, what does the education look like? Is that from a biblical perspective? Is that just from, okay, this is how you change a tire. This is how you change oil. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. What does the education look like in very practical terms? Okay. Um, the, the, the most important education is, to, is for the man, not necessarily for the children first. You educate the men. And the way you do that is, and 
uh, I talked in my podcast about uh, comparing Jesus Christ to the first Adam, which is Adam of the of the new of the Old Testament. When you take those two and compare them, then you see the things that Adam did wrong that Jesus Christ came in and corrected. And so I'm going to submit to you there is a definition of manhood because when I'm in classes and I'm teaching the men, I always ask them, what is a man? Tell me what man, define manhood for me. And they always say all these things that sound like so much work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's responsibility. Yeah. Okay, well, what does that mean? It's, it's, it's being hard. It's, it's, it's being the man. Well, what is the man? So what I would like to submit is a definition of manhood. And I got this from actually from a, a book called The Quest of Authentic Manhood by Robert Lewis. And, and um, I'll tell, tell, us, tell us the story. Uh, this young boy, and it's Robert Lewis's son, actually, and this young boy's at school, and they're all talking about manhood. The boy's about 13 or 14 years old. They go through this whole thing, and they ask all these people, what's manhood, what's manhood, what's manhood? And so they ask them, and he raises his hand, and he said, an authentic man is a man who resists passivity, accepts responsibility, lead courageously, and, accept, and expect a greater reward. And the guy says, wow, that's awesome. I say, where did you get that from? And the little boy looks at him with tears in his eyes, and he says, my dad. And that's because he was being trained on, when, on how he's going to be as an adult. So when you look at those things, I don't go through this real quick. I don't want to belabor this on the education. But if you look at those four things, resist passivity. Adam was, at, was right there next to Eve. And listen to, Eve, listen to Eve have a dialogue with Satan. And Satan convinced Eve to eat of the fruit. Well, Adam said nothing. The Bible says very candidly that she passed the fruit to her husband mm-hmm. who was with her, which means he was standing right beside her. So he, if, when we resist the, the desire to be passive in what we know is correct, then we are det- we, we cause a detriment to our family. Okay, so Dick, I want to make sure that we go through those. Let's okay. go through those bit by bit. So you said resist passivity. Resist passivity. Okay, so that that sounds like being soft. Well, what it is is not standing up for what what you know to be right. Then, and the problem is, a lot of times we aren't taught what is right. So you have a tendency to be passive. Give you an example. Let's say that I am in my home and my daughter is getting ready to go out and she has on this little bitty dress and everything and I say, well, that's not a good idea. And so her mother says, well, no, she's just trying to find herself and you know, she's not hurting anything. And so I don't say anything. Then she comes home and she's all upset because all the boys we're looking at her like a piece of meat. Okay, well, you dressing like a piece of meat. You dress, you do what you're expecting. And so, and so my passive part in that was I knew how boys think. <laughs> and I know that was not going to be healthy for her to go out like that. 
but I didn't say anything because I did not want to get into a conversation with my wife that I didn't want to have. Okay, so and that makes sense. Okay. So that's the passive. So part. that's the passive. That's the passive part. So to resist passivity. So when you're looking at that, even from a more, more direct point of. You avoided the in-depth conversation or pressing your point, which you knew to be right. Exactly. Because you knew it was going to cause something else. Right. Okay. So, when well, you, before I can, before you go okay. on, I give you I, I, to bring that a little bit further home. The largest, the, the biggest thing that men have an issue with is trying to decide and run, particularly their quote unquote their house. Mm-hmm. And so, what happens is. A woman will take the lead, and she will make all of the, the major decisions in the house. And so when you talk to the man, he say, well, hey, I mean, she wants to do it. I'm going to let her do it. But God holds you responsible for that. He holds you responsible. So because you knew that she should not be the one making those decisions, but you didn't do it because that's an argument. And I don't want to have that argument right now with my wife even though that argument needs to happen because it is healthy and it drives the relationship forward. Now, now you hit a t- you hit a hot button. Okay, because Genesis chapter 3 verse 16 specifically talks about that mm-hmm. when it says that to the woman because of the great transgression in the garden that your desire shall be for your husband oh, you don't and want you to want to rule over him. Yeah. So when you say that a woman naturally tries to take that position, yes. right? Yes. Um, they just naturally assume it. And so in order for a man to assume that position, he has to naturally take back from the woman. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting point because um, I I be less. I, I think that that's a point that we need to educate more at, mm-hmm. because typically what a man will do is beat his way into submission. Mm-hmm. He will use the Tarzan approach. I am Tarzan. You are Jane. This is my house. What I say goes. He stomps around his own house and shows the lion to his family as opposed to the lamb because he feels threatened. He, he, he doesn't know how to express that or he doesn't know how to biblically assume that position that God has given him in the house. Absolutely. So when you're looking at a, a resisting passivity, especially in this culture, Dick, um, that's not something that is being um, pushed across the airways. That's not a that's not a message that's being propagated. Even in our churches, we are propagating strong, take charge, take no prisoner type of men. And we have a lot of collateral damage along the way who men who hear this message and men who are naturally aggressive will now get this message and the natural aggression that's already in them and amplify it times mm-hmm. a thousand. Right. Now, going back to the scripture that you just mentioned, where it said that a woman, go to the scripture that you said that's Genesis, Genesis 316. 316. Go say that. Scripture. So it says that this is what God says to Eve. After he created, after he gave her more sorrows and childbirth, he said, your desire shall be for your husband and you shall want to rule over him. Right. Now, here's the problem. Well, actually, it says your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The problem with that is that just think about that. Why is that a punishment? You, you would desire your husband, but it's, it's a punishment because men have the have the proclivity to rule Harshly. Mm-hmm. So that's where the punishment comes in. But I tell men all the time, if you stand up and be the man you're supposed to be, the godly man, of course, when God is saying man, 
He's talking, he's assuming a man that is following God. Mm -hmm. So if you stand up and be that man, your wife will gravitate to you because that's part of the punishment. Yeah, yeah. That's part of the punishment. So the punishment is that she will be, she will allow you to rule her. And that's what that scripture really means, that if you do what you're supposed to do, she will desire you and she will desire your rule. She will go into a a situation of submission. And so, and because, you know, oh, that's a bad word. So, um, so Deacon Booker, when you're talking about the Genesis 3 curse and how, because um, uh, I often say this, that a woman doesn't have a problem following a man. She just doesn't, she doesn't want to follow a fool. When we have been taught to rule, we have typically been taught to rule with a domineering spirit, uh, to take over at all costs, take no prisoners. That's just how we've been taught. And we've been taught that in, in movies and in sports and just in life mm -hmm. with your friends. You know, nobody wants to be the soft one. And so when you're looking at how this plays out in 2020, you have an own example that you want to share with you and your wife. Yeah, but before I do that, I just want to, there's this quote from, uh, there's a, a book called Make Me Want to Holler by Nathan McCall. And Nathan McCall writes, writes in the book about uh, he got into some trouble and went to jail. He went to jail and he kept writing his girlfriend, uh, one that was going to be his wife. He wrote her and wrote her and every, every month, I mean every week, then every month, and then, you know, it started getting less and less and less. And so she finally, he finally writes her back and says, what's going on? Why? Where are you? She wrote him back and she said, I told you I would follow you anywhere. I never said I'd stay. Hmm. And that's what we think. Oh, well, that's my wife. And we, and we take for granted that they're going to always be around. So when we get them, we don't do what we have to do to keep them. And that's, that's, not, that's not a good thing either way. Because what you're doing is you're actually setting up a false narrative. You're telling them that this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be. But then as soon as you get them, then you become someone else. So who do you place the major blame on? Um, who, who carries the most responsibility in the home? The most responsibility? I think that, um, well, if you go by the Bible, uh, Ephesians 5 and 25 Talks of, it, well, it starts with 5 and 22, and it says that a woman should respect her husband. One thing. But it said that a man should wash her with the word. Mm -hmm. it should, you know, she, a man should do a, a, eight, eight, a myriad of things. And so that man has a larger responsibility in the home because God will look at him. If you go back to Adam and Eve, when, Adam, when, when Eve ate the fruit, nothing happened. When Adam ate the fruit, their eyes became open. And so that punishment was, was on Adam because Adam was told what Adam should do. Okay, so with that then, Deke, so the absence of the male or the father or the husband, uh, the, the male role in the house does have damning consequences. Yes, it does. Um, to a family unit. It, it absolutely... It absolutely matters. Now, it's not an excuse for that person to go out and do X, Y, and Z, but I believe all the time, and I say this all the time, that as adults, all we're simply doing is living out our childhood. Mm -hmm. And so um, when you don't have a male in the house, a godly male or a male that you can look up to, because I have people who had males in their house, but that role model was not necessarily.
necessarily a positive one. Right. And so in their adult years, all they're simply doing is modeling what they've seen in their youth mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. But so when you hold that the man holds a tremendous responsibility uh, as it relates to the family unit. That is also one of the reasons why the male is under the attack that he is under, is because when you take the male out, the enemy knows this. It's it's Mm -hmm. called divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. When you take the male out, the house is more susceptible. And so how do you play in 2020, taken from a biblical perspective of what God told man and God told Eve, God established the first family, How do we bring that into practical everyday, this is how you live in terms in 2020? Well, I think one of the things that has to happen is we don't have appropriate accountability. There's not appropriate accountability because, first of all, I can teach you a class. I can walk through this whole definition of manhood and say if you resist passivity, but how does that look when... I'm told that I should stand up and try to lead my family. And my wife say, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we didn't start like this. So why should it be like this now? And so that's the problem. And so what happens when you have accountability, then you can go back to someone and say, okay, but I stood up and did what you told me to do. And my wife is not having it. It's just like, it's just like it's easy for me to witness to someone that is in the church. But somebody on, out on the street corner, they don't care what you think about God, what you tell me about God. I don't want to hear that. So it's more difficult. And so you need to be prepared. And so when you, come, when you have a situation where a man is trying to live out what, we, what he's being taught, he needs to be able to come back and say, okay, that didn't work. And then he needs a cheerleader that's saying, no, 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 you must do what you know you've been taught to do, what God said in his word. If you do that, it will turn around. Then a month from now when they say, well, it won't turn around, then I'm saying, yes, it will. I have seen it 80 million times. You must stay the course. So accountability is so important because it's easy for us to say, well, I tried it. I tried it for a month, and she didn't change at all. But that, that's not, see, it's, see, when you try it for a month and you do it that way, it's because your motivation is wrong. Your motivation is to please God, not to make your wife change. Mm-hmm. If you please God, your wife will find out what her role is, and then you, you guys will walk together as opposed to, she doesn't need to walk behind you. She has things that she can offer, but you guys will walk together. And that's the goal is to do what God says, because the truth is in everyone. It just needs to be brought to the surface. And so we look at accountability and then we look at focus. A man is a powerful force if he knows if he knows which direction he's supposed to run. Absolutely. And I I used to do this example in my classes all the time. I would tell I would get the kids and I'd say, I give you $20 if someone can tell me how to get to Dallas. And everybody starts yelling out, oh, you go down 45, you go down. So I let them do all their yelling and I said, oh, okay, now. No one got the $20 because I didn't tell you where I am. I didn't say, you assumed I was in Houston. But you can't go down 45 and get to Dallas if you're in Seattle. Hmm. And so what happens is we have a lot of men 
that don't know where they are trying to get to somewhere that they think they know where they're trying to get to, but they don't know where they are. And so, and you know, we, a lot of times we have this ideal of who we are, and usually it's incorrect. It's like you have this guy that's not very good looking, doesn't really have a lot going on, but he said, yeah, you know, the other day, uh, I heard that Halle Berry was coming to town. So? <laughs> you have no, you don't know where you are. Halle Berry, you have nothing to offer her. That's because you don't know where you are. And what happens in manhood is we don't know where we are. So we're trying to get to, to a, a good place, but we think we're running our home. We think that we are standing up and being counted. But if you ask the people around you, they say, nah, not so much. Well, Dick, I, but I, and I'm asking um, because I'm really curious about this. I, I really believe um, I'm very strong on family, man. I believe that at the end of the day, man, family is really all that you have. You know, friends are great. Associates are great. You know, church is great. But the people that are going to be with you through thick and thin is your family. Mm -hmm. And so you got to do everything that you can to protect your family. And I see the family right now. Um, and I understand, the, you know, the pastor scripture that b the Bible says that God has a remnant. So I'm by no means, you know, broad stroking this across all families. But I do see the family unit as um, being attacked on all different levels. Mm -hmm. And I believe because the enemy understands the power of family. When you have a strong family, you got a strong community, the community will then broaden out to the state, to the mm -hmm. world, and it will impact every aspect of yes. society. But when that family unit is splintered, and when you have people in the family that don't know who they are, the love is not there, the support is not there, what do we expect them to do outside of that family unit? And this is very important because I think right now, and the reason why I wanted to have you on with the, talking about men is because I believe that men, this is not a chauvinistic remark by any stretch of the imagination, but I do believe that the man, a godly man who understands who he is, understands his purpose and understands why he has been created, that that person, that man is the key to how God will work in the family, in the community, in the state, in the world, and ultimately for the spread of the gospel. When you're looking at how God made Adam, God created Adam first, gave him an assignment, gave him something to do to put his hands to. That's correct. And he didn't bring Eve until after he had a job to after he had responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And so now when I'm looking in 2020 and I'm looking at these numbers in 1960, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, we see dramatic shifts in 1960 as opposed to 2020. You see the family dynamic being not just attacked, but all out assaulted right now in 2020. So when we're talking about men, how would you encourage a man who has not had a, a father? He has not had a good role model. He's out there trying to do the best that he thinks he can do. So he's doing the best that he knows how to do. Maybe not crossing every T and dotting every I, but he's getting up and going to work every day. He's in this particular situation to where he's trying to be a better man. How would you encourage that man right now? Well, I think that, uh, and, and I'll use an analogy for that. It's, um, let's just say that you want to drive, you want to buy a car. And you say, I had a friend of mine tell me one time, well, you know, a Hyundai is just fine for me because a Hyundai will get you from one place to another. And I asked him, I said, okay, well, because when you say that, have you ever driven a Mercedes? No. Have you ever sat in a Mercedes? 
No. Well, then that's why you say they are the same. Mm -hmm. Because you have not experienced the other end of the spectrum. And so I started going into, do you know that Mercedes does this? Do you know that Mercedes, when their, walk, when their air comes in, it goes through a, a filtration process. So when it comes to you, there's nothing in there but pure air. No other car does that. Do you know this, this, this? And they say, he say, oh, oh. So now he desires at least to look at Mercedes because he understands the other side. And what happens is, when I say accountability, also when you look at men, Men need to see someone else doing what you're telling me I need to do. And you need to see them doing it, see them doing it successfully. And so that's what I would tell men. I'd say you must look, if you look in the, if you just take the church, for instance, where we are, we are talking about, if you take the church and you look at the men in the church, what happens is you don't judge the church by the people that are not doing well. You judge the church that by the leaders. And if all the leaders are, are married men that are spending time with their wives and their wives are happy, their wives have, have, have settled into who they are, the men have settled into who they are, those are the ones that you look to. So when, I have, when you have men that are not, um, that don't know where they want to go or what they want to be, then you must look at the people that you see as successful in marriage, biblical marriage, because you could have a man that has a wife that is happy, but, but she's happy just because she doesn't know that he has another woman. So you look at the man, you, 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 you look at how he behaves, you look at what he does, because what happens in a lot of instances is we have men that think they are doing well because they're comparing themselves to people like them. Yeah. And so we have to make everybody move up their standard, pick up the standard. Okay, so so Deacon Booker, so now uh, women can um, get intro uh, fertilization. Mm -hmm. They can be impregnated with the male sperm, of course, I mean, and, and, and get impregnated, carry a baby full term um, with no desire at all to have the man in the house or ought to be a mm -hmm. part of that particular child's life. Mm -hmm. And it is because of the devaluing, first of all, just of life in general and people in general and relationship between people. That's been under attack for, for generations. But now you're seeing right now where we are being uh, sold a bill of goods by the, by the people on the outside in regards to men. A man is supposed to be a man. Now, male and man are two different things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. But how do we right now, if you're looking at the numbers and the numbers say what they say in regards to poverty, uh, violence, suicidal thoughts, um, success, education, and you can attribute all of those factors to or some of those factors to the absence of the male father, husband, X, Y and Z. Absolutely. Right now in 2020, the problem is at epidemic proportions. Um we're not getting a lot of men in. Men are taking their cues, not from conversations like this. Men are taking their cues from the TV screen, from commercials, from social media. Mm -hmm. This is how you respond. You don't go out and find a wife. You get several girls and don't commit to any of them. 
you go out and, and engage in the behavior that produces children. And then when the child is produced, you walk away from your responsibilities. And so it seems as though the gap, as opposed to shrinking, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, here's the elephant in the room, D. It's happening in the church, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we got a problem with fatherlessness among so-called Christians in the house of God. So it's not just reserved to the outside world. And see, that is being fostered because when you have people coming to the church, you have a lot of single-parent homes, which are the woman is the head of household, and they bring their children to church. And they run their stuff. They do what they're supposed to do. But you bring them into the church, and all they ever see is just more women running everything. And then there's no men that's standing up and say, well, no, 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 I got that. Okay, give you an example. It's, so, it's something that's just as simple as, let's say we, we have a food pantry at the church. So let's say when, when people are leaving with, the food, with their food, and there's a young lady, and she wants to take her bags out, and I offer to take the bags for her. It's not because she's weak and cannot do it. Mm-hmm. It's because it's customary if there's, okay, men, a man and a woman that's the same size, height, everything, a man is, pro- is, is proportionately stronger than her. It's just an act of gratitude to the fact that God made me that way. So I take it out for her, it's a fight because she's already assuming I want something or I, I no, I, you know, I do this every day. OK, but today you don't have to do it. Uh-huh. And that's the way I look at it. But what happens is you, you if that woman feels that way, her children feel that way. Absolutely. And so and so when they come into the church with that attitude, you have to have enough men there that are doing those types of things saying, oh, no, no, let me get that for you. Something as simple as opening the door. Well, women get mad at that, but it's detrimental for them to get mad. But they don't know that because that's all they know. I open the door for myself any other time. OK, but today, yeah. today, young lady, you don't have to do it. When me when my wife and I got married, one of the things that she when we first got married, I would just I'd have to run in front of her to open the door. I'd have to beat her to the door. Now, <laughs> when we go somewhere, my wife walks up to the door and stops. Because, not because I said, oh, you better do this. No, it's because she has realized I prefer <laughs> you to open the door for me. And so it's, it's not anything that's required in either way. It's just because I know I was taught that that was, that that was just respectful. So if that's the case, if you do it long enough, then the person that's being respected can be not can do nothing but enjoy the respect. And that's what happens. But that's not but so when the women come into the church, they come in saying, well, hey, I do everything else. So the so the boys that are sitting there watching that are saying, well, that's not that's not expected of me. Why should I do it? So in that same vein, as we talked about what's going on in the church, when you see that leadership role being filled by a woman in the home, mm-hmm. the church right now has a seven to one ratio of women to men. Right. And so when you come into the house of God 
and supposedly around godly Christian men, you see the same dynamic that that single parent has in the home where the mother's doing everything, the mother's taking care of the business, she's handling all the stuff that has to do with the house, and then you come into a church that is equally run by women, mm -hmm. they get the same dynamic. And so it's, it's this role of, you know, I know what I should do, but to your earlier point, I've never seen anybody do it, so I don't really know if it's real. Right. I hear you telling me that, but I don't, I've never seen it really modeled in my life, so I don't really know how to apply that. But I think when we're looking at today's society, and, 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 and I want to make sure that I try to, um, you know, to conceptualize this where we need to be contextually, is there is a real problem right now, uh, Deacon Booker, with not just godly men, um, but just men in general. Um, you know, in my day, a man did certain things, um, responded a certain way. Um, today, we have a lot of feminized women, I mean, a lot of feminized men who have very um, woman-like behaviors. Men are more sensitive now than they've ever mm -hmm. been. Mm -hmm. You can't have real hard kind of conversations. This is what it is. This is what we need to kind of do. Men don't take directives very, very good nowadays. And so as you're looking at the man that is supposed to be the anchor of the home, and and the the the, the unwavering uh, person in the home, you see a lot of men right now that are kind of going to and fro, to and fro, mm -hmm. and it's not just again to the 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 world's problem. As being leaders in the church, we see this all the time in counseling men. Mm -hmm. But there has to be something that we can do. There has to be something that we can do. There has to be some way that we may be able to intervene to that man out there, to that boy out there, to the boy who doesn't have a father, to the man who grew up without a father, to intervene to show them a better way. And so as you're looking at those next steps, yes, we got to do education. Yes, we got to do spiritual reform. Is there going to be anything else to where we can meet this, this, this thing head on? Well, I think that, um, like I said, the accountability is a big piece, but... The but explain example. the accountability, well, accountability to somebody that has never had accountability. Well, what accountability does is it it, it it works both ways. One way, accountability allows you to not be a legend in your own mind. And that's what it really is. You When you look at a man and he thinks that he is a certain thing, and then you present something else to him, then you present it based on the Bible. And when you show him, God says you should do it this way. And then you, you implore him to do that, and then you cheerlead him to continue to do it. And so, and when we talk about the focus, anybody that is focused will more than likely get to their goal quicker. And so the focus in accountability comes from the people that are around you that see you, like for instance, don't, don't have in your accountability group um, people that are not Christians to lead you to a Christian lifestyle. For instance, I have a friend of mine that was uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous and his, I don't, I'm not sure what they're called, but the people that lead them. Mm -hmm. Well, he's not a Christian. So that's a problem because how are you gonna lead me to a Christian lifestyle when you are taking me from an area that we both were in, but I want to do it as a Christian. 
So how, how are you going to lead me to a Christian lifestyle when you are not a Christian? You don't understand. The Bible says the ways of the cross is foolishness to men. But the reason is because they cannot comprehend it. And so what we do a lot of times is we have to be careful about the people that we follow. And in accountability, you, you, bring your, you put yourself around people. Like, for instance, in the church, it's, all, it's, it's good a lot of times for a guy to be held accountable. If you're a deacon, you should have a deacon holding you accountable because you're not a, quote, unquote, regular Christian. You're trying to go to a higher standard. Everybody else can't understand that because they're not trying to go there. And so that's, that's why in our church, a lot of times our pastor will put in accountability ministers with ministers. Not because of a minister, oh, it has to be. No, it's because I understand where you're trying to go. So when you bring that back to men, we have to get our men to take, a, um, take accountability and take responsibility from men. Okay, Not so, some women. So, D, put that into practical terms because you're taking somebody and saying that accountability is the way that you should go, but they have no idea of what accountability is. Real accountability requires vulnerability. Yes. It means opening up, good, bad, and indifferent. Mm-hmm. And by opening up, you make yourself vulnerable to what people call judging, mm-hmm. and nobody likes to be judged. So how do you take somebody who has never been in an accountability setting and saying you need to be in an accountability setting? Well, it's, it's, the first thing is you really have to have pe- you really have to get people to understand that they need to be in that situation, because what happens is a lot of men are OK just being alone, but they don't understand that accountability is healthy for them. Once they understand, then you must push a person to get outside their comfort zone. You must, they must find one or two men that they believe they can trust, and then you test that trust. If that trust comes back unfounded, then you move on. You don't just keep forcing them into it. But if it doesn't, then you take that person, who, like I say, a Christian person, and we're talking about, if we're talking about a Christian man, or if we're talking about any man in general, you, you have to spend time with people. You have to tell them how you feel. I should be able I should be able to tell my accountability or someone that I'm considering accountability. You give them something small and then see if it comes back. <laughs> I mean it's just as simple as that because men are naturally distrustful of men. We were taught that. That's the way we that's the way we learned it. You know, Burger King says it's your thing, you do what you want to do. But it's because no one else can tell me what I need to do. I need to do it myself. But what happens is then we become an island. And then we don't trust anybody. And as we older we get, the harder it is to trust. And so what we have to do is you have to get out there. It's just like we talk about love. Well, you're never going to truly love someone if you don't go out and be vulnerable. At some point, you have to put yourself out there. And that's what happens with accountability. You have to put yourself out there. But what accountability does is it allows someone that is not emotionally involved in your life to speak into your life because it's more difficult for you to make a decision because you're emotionally involved. Okay, so so when accountability 
is at the forefront of a relationship and a person has entered into accountability, um, they are now, um, and, and I think this is, a, I don't know if we're going to have enough time to kind of explore that, but um, friendships and acquaintances are two different things. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people mistake um, a friendship with an acquaintance. You know, I, I, we live in an era where Facebook has fooled people and saying that you got a hundred friends, a thousand friends, five thousand friends. Nobody has that many friends. Friends, real friends, come few and far in between. And a friend is somebody that mutually has your best interests in mind. But I think we're in a time right now to where people are genuinely concerned with the the kind of people that I call pillow talkers. You know, pillow talkers. You know, they, um, they couldn't hold water. So accountability sounds like a great idea but the process of going to a place or accountability is going to benefit me is a very scary process. Yes. All right. So Deacon Booker, um, I really appreciate this conversation on, on authentic manhood and where is the man um, believing that we should be able to tackle this problem with very specific um, solutions that will lead to us closing this gap um, that exists with fatherlessness, absentee men in the home. But uh, to that man watching right now, um, what would you say to that man who has not had a father? Um, he's made some mistakes. He hadn't done it all the right way. Uh, how would you encourage that man right now? I think it's important that you remember, that we all remember, that manhood is a team sport. Hmm. And so if you think about any sport, any time that, that there's a problem, it's because one person decides to do something different than everybody else. So when we have when you talk about manhood, you must seek out other men. If you are if you are a church person, if you are a man that is saved, then you should seek out at your local church the people that you see that you think are, quote unquote, handling their business on the manhood side. And there are some ways that you can turn you can tell. You judge, the Bible says you judge the spirit by the spirit, which means that if you spend enough time around a bunch of men, you'll notice the men that always rise in chaos. You'll notice the men that always have something good to say to you as opposed to always telling you what's bad about you. You'll notice the men that when the wives come around, that their wives walk over to them. (laughs) And that means that wife wants to be around them. Mm -hmm. You notice those things. When you notice those things, then you go to those men and put yourself out there and say, I would like to be held accountable. And in my case, I have a lot of men that come to me because I'm over the men's ministry, but I can't, hold, I can't be everybody's accountability partner. But I will send you to someone. So if you are a, a Christian man, I would suggest you find in your church the men that you think have the qualities that you seek. And then you go to them and you put yourself out there. Like you said before, it is very difficult to do. But I have never seen anything worth having that wasn't difficult. Amen. It's easy to be a, 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 a thousandaire, but there's not a whole lot of millionaires. <laughs> there's not a whole lot of billionaires because it's difficult. John F. Kennedy said, we go to the moon not because it's there, but because it's hard, <laughs> everybody doesn't do it. 
And so that's what I would encourage. And if you're if you're a man that is not in the church right now, because I am in the church, I would suggest that you find a church. But if you can't do that right now, if you're not comfortable with that, you find a man that have that same thing that has those qualities that you like. And then you work with that man until you, the ultimate goal is to get yourself into a Bible teaching church that will change your life as a man is. So is their family. And I do want to read a quote from Abraham Lincoln says, it is not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years. So if you have years left, put some life in it, mm. put some life in it. Mm. And that's how you do it. You go and find help. You cannot do it on your own. If you could, you would have already done it. Deacon Clark Booker, uh, men's ministry director at the Church of Bethel's Family. Uh, to all the men out there, I want to encourage you as we continue to encourage you in this season. Um, God has a plan for your life, um, and that plan is far better than what you could ever imagine for yourself, no matter if you've messed up no matter if you've missed the mark, no matter if you've messed up several, 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 several times. Um, the good thing about God is that he is a God not only of second chances, but of third, fourth, 50th, 100th. Um, God is a good God. So as long as you're breathing, God can still use you in a capacity that he wants to. I want to encourage every man out there for right now that if God be for you, it's more than the entire world against you. Deacon Clark Allen Booker. I always tease him with that. I always include his middle name. My name is Marcus Dwayne Holman. Uh, we belong to a group, and I'm going to just put this out there for accountability purposes. Yes. Um, there's a very, very uh, minute group that we've been in for about the last eight years or so. Oh, no, 15. 15 years. Well, it's been a long time. Yes. Um, and it's called Curb, K-I-R-B, and it's Keep It Real Brothers. And it is a select group of people that have been walking together um, for about 15 years. And we hold each other accountable. We pull each other's coattail um, when it coattail needs to be pulled. And so that means you can't just live life kind of willy-nilly, yeah. um, any kind of way that you want, because somebody's going to hold you accountable to that when they see you going in a different direction. Um, they're going to love you enough. They're going to care about you enough to have those kind of real conversations with you. So accountability does work, but it does mean that you have to be vulnerable. It does mean that you have to open up some areas of your life that you typically otherwise would not. And so, man, I want you to be encouraged. God is for you. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. He is for you as a man. Go be a good husband, a good father, good brother, good friend, but even better Christian. Thank you for joining us here on Studio B. Make sure that you like, subscribe, share, comment, Facebook. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube. And Lord's will, we'll see you next week.